This episode covers a variety of difficult and mature topics, including sexual abuse and assault, female genital mutilation, sex trafficking, and more. Please listen at your own discretion. And I, I realized that me being silent and, and not standing up to this gender role theology was me being complicit and the oppression of other women. So it wasn't just like, there's nothing I can do. It's like, no, actually, I am harming women. I'm being complicit in the oppression of women by not using my voice in this situation. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Exvangelical Podcast, where being labeled a heretic is a good thing, if it means refusing to conform to toxic, harmful expressions of faith. We address your questions about God, politics, how we got here, and how to move forward. Nothing is off limits in our conversations with scholars, spiritual seekers, and activists in our quest to uncover the heart of faith. We're your hosts, Melanie and Gary Ellen, and this is Holy Heretics. Today, we are delighted to be chatting with Megan Chance, a writer, speaker, and former missionary who is passionate about empowering women and reclaiming feminism for the Christian faith, which for a lot of us, sounds like an oxymoron. She's a prolific blogger, the host of her own podcast called Faith and Feminism, and she's an avid traveler, at least when there's not a global pandemic going on. Um, And she has a brand new book called Women Rising, Learning to Listen, Reclaiming Our Voice, which I've read, and it is simultaneously heartbreaking and powerful and liberating. So we are so excited you're here today, Megan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. All right, Megan. So for me, um, one of the first things that kind of triggered my faith deconstruction was the whole concept of patriarchy and feminism and really realizing that um, most of what we have been taught in the evangelical church about gender roles and sexuality and the hierarchy of men and women was just incorrect and or uh, really toxic on so many levels. So let me start at your beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us about uh, your book, why you wrote it, and why this whole notion of gender equality and patriarchy was so central for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's basically my whole book, so I'm going to give you the short answer. <laughs> um, but so I grew up in the conservative evangelical church, um, and it's really interesting. I um, talk about my youth pastor growing up who was, uh, you know, kind of rehashing all of this purity culture, um, you know, patriarchal gender role stuff. And he actually sent me a message this morning apologizing for all of it. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I mean, he's actually, I mean, I never really faulted him because I really looked up to his wife and his wife and I have like stayed connected over the years. Um, and she, I mean, very clearly deconstructed. They used to be mission, like after they were my youth pastor, they were missionaries and like came home and all this other stuff. Um, but I write about this, this youth pastor figure, you know, who was preaching purity culture, telling me that my body was sinful and harmful to men. And he sent me a very long, like thoughtful message this morning, um, mm. apologizing and saying, you know what, like I've, learned and grown a lot too. Um, can I, I know this person that has this podcast, you want to go on their podcast. So he was like even opening, um, yeah, to, to make my voice more known. So that was really cool. Mm. So, um, it's, it's interesting to see how, uh, (laughs) telling my story has, has, um, it's changed minds, but even to hear like from old, old connections from like the time I was 13. But anyways, I grew up in the uh, patriarchal uh, conservative evangelical church, was raised to believe that women were there for um, basically the benefit of men. Um, I was I was told that I was, uh, you know, supposed to be a submissive housewife, to be sexually available to my husband. Everything I was taught in the church was all about becoming um, a wife to a husband one day and being under his authority. Um, and I was also taught purity culture, which I'm sure that many of the listeners are familiar with this, uh, this concept that um, my worth came from my sexual purity and that women were essentially responsible for the thoughts of boys and men. So you grew up with phrases like, uh, it's not on the market. Don't show it. Modest is hottest. Um, <laughs> let's let's you know. Don't be a stumbling block. Let's protect our brothers. Um, that kind of idea, which communicated the idea that men weren't able to control, or boys weren't able to control their sexual urges. And so, 
I grew up seeing the differences in the way men and women were treated, or I should say boys and girls, because this is all like very young, um, and having issues with it and asking questions about it, but really being shut down. And so as I grew into Mm -hmm. adolescence, um, I realized that the only way that I would find acceptance is if I kind of complied by these rules, that I stopped asking my questions, that... um, I, you know, just kind of went along with it, even though it felt so wrong in my gut. And it wasn't until I um, graduated college, I went to the school, uh, I went to school, University of Colorado Boulder for journalism, worked for a newspaper, um, ended up hating it. (laughs) And was like, you know, what? I'm going to do the most godly thing I can do as a woman. And to me, that there was only two options for that, and that was to either be a pastor's wife or to um, do missions work. And so I chose missions work. Um, the idea of pastor's wife felt very um, stifling to me. Um, and so um, it was through doing missions work, traveling around the world and seeing the oppression of women and and how this oppression always came hand in hand with um, these very patriarchal gender norms. So similar uh, similar to the idea of what I had grown up, that women should be in the home, in the kitchen, providing for men. I saw that to an extreme degree all over the world and seeing how and saw how it was um, really abusive to women. We saw, you know, things like female genital mutilation um, went hand in hand with this idea that girls couldn't get an education, went hand in hand with that um, women were supposed to be at home caring for for the house. And then, you know, I'd see um, sex trafficking or women who had worked in the sex trade and this idea that women were there to be sexually available to men and to meet that demand. And again and again, I ran into this extreme oppression of women and I started to see um, similar threads of what was in their story as in my own story. Um, And it became crystal clear to me one night when I was working I was partnering with an organization called Wipe Every Tear that took women um, or gave women uh, the opportunity to leave the sex trade and get a full college education. And so um, where I was specifically in the Philippines, a lot of these women, um, some went into the sex trade knowing what it was, but had such a lack of options that um, it was the only thing that they could do to survive. Mm -hmm. Some actually didn't even know what they were going into. Some were trafficked by their family. All of these women um, coexisted there. And um, it was one night after um, I had met a young woman who uh, it was her first night in the bars. Her her boy her boyfriend. I don't want to say he was her pimp, but it seemed like he really wanted her to be there, um, and that there was pressure there. And she had a young child, and she was also being abused by her boyfriend, and was actually showing me um, like cigarette burns where she had that her boy had boyfriend had given her, and she was really mm-hmm. interested. in um, this program with that wipe every tear offered that offered you know her a chance to get a college education. And as I was talking to her, these um, drunk men came up to us, these like six drunk men, and they wanted to buy her. And generally you would like the way it's set up is men watch these women on stage and they're, it's so interesting because in my experience, the women so clearly don't want to be there. They're up on stage in these little, you know, various forms of underwear. And they're oftentimes trying to cover their bodies, which is, mm. is it's really sad to me. Um, they clearly don't feel comfortable doing what they're doing. And so men, I guess, watch these women sway on stage, oftentimes looking at their feet. Sometimes you'll have like one or two that are really into the music and look more comfortable out there. Um, but usually you just point to a girl that you want and a, like a laser shown on her and then you like get to talk to her and buy her drinks. And then if you want to, you can pay her bar fine for the night, which is um, you get to take her for the night and do do what mm. you want. Um, for and, the whole night? The whole uh, night. Yes. Yeah. It's not it, just like an hour like in other places. It's yeah. like you just. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's for the whole night. I, I mean, I didn't ask specifically, but the idea is that she's not going to return to her shift. Um, wow. So she leaves with them. And so the, the way, the, I mean, prostitution is illegal in the Philippines. And so the way they get around is like, you can leave and pay like basically the money she would have made that night um, mm. is the kind of the mm. idea. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I it's, I'm pretty sure it's for the whole night or at least wow. that's what I've heard. Um 
And so, um, yeah, so I was talking to this woman that we had picked up. I remember, you know, we, we sit down there and we're like, God, is there anyone, you know, you want us to talk to? And um, I felt like we should talk to her. And so we, you know, we pointed our laser and they're always so surprised. You can sometimes you can tell they don't want to be chosen. So they'll push each other into the like the laser light. Like, no, you have to go, you know, because clearly mm. this is they, they don't. A lot of them, I can't speak for all of them, but a lot of the women I talk to, they don't want to be there. And so they'll push their friends um, or other women into the light, like, oh, I don't want to go. And so I, we, we started talking, I started talking to her and um, I mean, that's kind of the way it's set up. So it was, it was number one odd that these men, instead of choosing someone that was on stage, chose someone that I was talking to, but they, they wanted to buy her. And I was like, do you want to go with them? And she said, no. And she said no to them, and they weren't taking no for an answer, and they started grabbing her. And I tried to stop them, but, you know, both of us were quite small. And again, these were like six drunk men just towering over us. And I had a teammate run up to me who had seen what was happening and said, you know, why don't we just buy her first? And so, you know, I came – the waitress seemed to really want to help this woman out as well. And so uh, she quickly took the money from us. And that was us. And I, and I mean, I obviously had a lot of <sighs> reservations about what was happening because I don't want to support this industry, especially because mm-hmm. like this money isn't going, I don't know how much they take home personally, but this money is going to, you know, the bar managers. It's not going mm-hmm. to these women. And so mm-hmm. um, I paid for her and uh, you know, she's like, okay, well, I'm like, thank you. I'm going to, you know, go spend the night with my son. And as she was going to leave, these men like tried to take her or like maybe these, I don't really know. Cause these men spoke a different language. They were, um, Korean. Um, but they like, they seemed to think that she was theirs. And so we had an argument with the bar managers and, you know, by this point, the whole bar is just looking at us and, um, eventually win the argument. But over time, these men get more and more angry. And, um, you know, my new friend was able to, or I guess this new woman I had talked to, friend is probably a strong word, uh, was able to go home. And I watched her walk away. But in their anger, and these men are very angry now, uh, just grabbed another woman off the stage and left with her. And I Mm. remember her looking back at us, just she looked terrified. And I remember feeling like I had just made the situation infinitely worse because I knew the difference between an, you know, an angry man and an angry drunk man. And mm. and that these men were just drunk before, but now they're angry and drunk. And um, I just remember like collapsing onto the, you know, I was leading the team collapsing into the middle of the street and just sobbing because mm. I wondered like what are we even doing here women are so easily replaced are we even are we making the situation worse with our presence essentially like are we just making it so you know here i am literally handing money to you know to this trade and then and then this other woman gets taken by these men that i had made angry like it wasn't her fault mm. that these men were angry it was my fault mm. and so um i remember i couldn't sleep that night like at all. Um, and we, I mean, obviously we got home late, but I just couldn't sleep. And I just, the scene kept playing over and over in my head. And this woman who is walking away and I'm like, God, like, what, what are we even doing here? They're so easily replaced. Like, I don't feel like, you know, <laughs> I just, I was, I, I was just at a loss. I was, I was heartbroken and I couldn't sleep. And, and, um, I felt like God said to me, this is supposed to break your heart. This is heartbreaking. And, and it was the next day that, you know, I was asking this question of like, how do we make a difference? How do we fight the demand? Women are so easily replaced that my answer of the demand, though I had been seeing it for years and years was so clearly answered in this interaction I had with this man. Um, we were in a bar and this, um, as we're leaving this, American guy, well, two American guys called us over. And one was like, I don't know, probably in his late 50s, 60s. And he had this young girl around um, under his arm and he was asking us why we were there. And and we told him, you know, we're here, you know, to help these women who want, if they want to leave to get an education, because like I said, um, a lot of these women are there due to lack of choice. Um, so to kind of go off 
a little bit to the side. Another story we heard a lot was um, uh, due to climate change, a lot of um, provinces are these like small um, island communities are, you know, their farms are getting wiped out by these massive typhoons and hurricanes. Mm -hmm. And so these families with all of these children have no other way to provide for their children. And they send their oldest children to the city and like, hey, find find a way to keep us afloat, like to feed us. And um, these these girls are these, you know, I don't know what happens to the young boys, but these girls specifically have, you know, they don't have a formal education. And so um, there's really very few options open to them. And so that's usually how they will end up in the sex trade. So not only are they trying to support themselves, but they're trying to support themselves, many dependents at the same Mm -hmm. time. And so hmm. this was like a, a recurring story again and again. It's how will I feed my family? How will I provide? I don't have, uh, you know, I won't get hired at other jobs. And so this is the option that's available to me. Um, and so anyway, so we we're talking to this guy um, and knowing. So I knew these stories. I had lived with women um, specifically in, in the Philippines who had left um, the sex trade for, um, you know, about f- four months before, or th- I guess, you know, yeah about like three months before. So I knew these stories. I knew these, these women um, pretty well. And uh, he, he was asking why we're there. And we told them, you know, we're here to like, um, you know, if they want to leave, they have an opportunity to get an education and, you know, have options in their life. And he's like, oh, that's so great. And he went on about like, yay, it's like great for you. But as, as we went, we, you know, we turned the question back on him, like, why are you here? And he told mm. us that he came here because women here are, quote unquote, raised right. They know how to respect men. And <laughs> as he continued on this conversation, he went on and on and on about how women in the States didn't know their place. They were uppity. Um, but here he came to get the respect that he deserved and was entitled to. And as he was talking, it was like, slowly this light bulb went off in my head like he sounds familiar like where have I heard this before and then I connected that it sounded just like the pastors I had in the church who had told me again and again that women were there to respect men and that men Mm. deserved respect and if you look at prominent um books in the evangelical culture like for example love and respect that's one of the most famous books on marriage Mm -hmm. and that whole book's premise is men getting the respect they deserve without condition that is a literal Mm -hmm. quote by um egrix who's the author of that book and so um it was like all at once i started to understand the demand why at least this man was telling me that he came here to get the respect he had deserved and i thought of other interactions where i had interacted with john's and so often it was like this male need for respect or this male need for sexual conquest that sent them um, to do what they were doing. And this, this is, you know, this power differential. And so when I realized that, that, you know, and I had that moment that the night before I was like, I need, to, I felt called by God to fight the demand, to fight, uh, you know, the violence and oppression I was seeing, not to just help women out, but to like, fight the cause of it, I was like, this is the cause. It's it's the inequality um, between men and women. And as I did more research, I mean, this is backed up by many psychologists. For example, there's a psychoanalyst named um, Lynn Yonak, and she wrote an incredible article in Psychology Today that talks about how sexual assault is actually due to power, not sexual urges. And oftentimes we see this need for power and dominance um, eroticized. It's, it's, it's made into um, a sexual thing. And if we look at porn, we see a lot of these images as well of uh, this man dominating women. And so mm-hmm. when I had this realization, I realized that the church was complicit in these women's oppression because they were one of the greatest upholders of patriarchy. This idea of gender roles, that women belonged in a certain place, that women were made to respect men, that women were supposed to be sexually available to men. These were all similar things that I heard from men who were harming women. And so mm-hmm. I <laughs> quit my job. I worked for a missions work at organization at the time and was like, I'm going to fight for women's rights with everything I have, especially within the Christian space, because, um, and sadly, we're one of the greatest upholders of patriarchy. 
And right. Well, you know, I was going to say, yeah. um, it sounds like what you just described in kind of vivid detail in the Philippines is actually enacted in just about every evangelical home mm-hmm. in America, but just behind closed doors yep. and a little bit more cleaned up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's not that women in America are seen any differently. They might just be treated a little bit more dignified, but the the understanding is still the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are here for you are here for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are under my authority. Mm-hmm. You will be sexually available to me, mm-hmm. and I get to basically do with you what I want because, as you just said earlier, this is your whole role in life. Right, is to be. Um, you know, be, be my plaything, mm-hmm. And we don't really want to talk about that, no. but uh, it's, as you just said, um, patriarchy is a system and it is a global system. And one of the greatest um, exporters of patriarchy has been Christianity mm-hmm. and in particular white evangelical Christianity. So yeah, I, I, I think that I think what you're doing is so critical because as as I think what you learned in the Philippines is like, wait a minute, we we could save four or five ladies mm-hmm. here and elevate them, but man, there's an entire infrastructure mm-hmm. that is propping this up and the church has been some of its greatest exporters. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 tragic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think think it's so important what you said. Um that for example, like if we look at statistics here in the United States, we think we're so, so often we think we're the best and we're so far above this. And but, I mean, trafficking happens here. But if we look at statistics here, one in three women in the United States is the survivor of domestic or sexual assault. Um, mm. One between one in five and one in six is raped. And those numbers are actually pretty higher because of the courage, the immense courage that it takes for survivors to come forward. And so right. here in the United States, we are not above, we're not doing better. We have a huge problem with sexual assault. We have a huge uh, problem with male entitlement. And any girl growing up, whether or not she's in the church or not in the church, can tell you story after story of being sexually harassed or being sexually assaulted. And so we have to really look at ourselves if we're going to make a difference. But so often in the church, we want to put the problem outside. This isn't us. This isn't us. This is over there. Let me help them. But no, mm-hmm. this is us. And so I'm actually in the middle of writing an article about it right now. Um, I wrote an article about gender roles um, and how they contribute to the abuse of women. And the next day I got an email. Um, from someone telling me, uh, you know, claiming to be a Christian, saying I was going to hell. First of all, he he said I was going to hell for what I was writing. But then he told me he could tell by my face that I was a whore and that if I hadn't been Mm. raped, it was an injustice. This is what a man claiming to know Christ that I needed to repent. And then he told me that be, like if I haven't been raped, it's an injustice based on my face because that was the only picture. It's just literally a picture of my face that went along with the article that I was a whore and deserved to be raped, and that was a form of justice. This oh is coming gosh. from our church, and I have even yeah. more stories because so um, I did. So there was a, a terrible shooting that happened here in Atlanta. Um, I, I live in Athens, so pretty close to me, and um, these guys. The guy who who killed, murdered women because he viewed them as a temptation, which I think is a uh, let's talk about purity culture there. There, uh, this idea that women are responsible for the thoughts and desires or whatever of men, and so this man, because he thought he was struggling with a sexual addiction, decided to murder them to eliminate temptation. So we can even he was a Baptist, he was taught purity culture. So there's another example. <laughs> but if we even go even deeper, I started looking into the the spas and who was leaving reviews there because they sounded a lot like the men that I had encountered overseas. And mm-hmm. as I went to these men's reviews, Um, I found that they would leave reviews for different spas, you know, talk about their happy ending, um, say very racist Uh. and sexist things in their um, in their reviews. And then they would in the same in their reviews also review their churches. I have found two people who left reviews, multiple reviews for these happy ending spas um, and then also say, you know, love and Christ church, like great place to find Jesus. Um, so my whole oh my point gosh. is that this is not 
this is us. We are sick. The yeah. patriarchy we teach in the church is making us sick. And so mm-hmm. I really felt like God was like, go get your people. Go get your people and tell them that the, the the gender theology they have is causing oppression and harm and death and rape and abuse of women. And so, I mean, that's how I started the podcast and wrote the book. And that's that's my hope is that we can see the fruit of the theology is so, so dangerous. Well, my question here is like, as a woman who was raised in this theology, who is raised in purity culture, who like was indoctrinated into the patriarchy, I'm I have a similar story to you. Like, how did you get to that point of like, wait, because I feel like we get so stuck, like we're so indoctrinated Mm -hmm. that you just it's so hard to like ever get to the point where you're like no actually it's time to stand up against this you're like no because my place is to be Mm -hmm. quiet and submissive and the men will fit you know like you're so indoctrinated that you think like it's someone else's problem because I'm a woman so I don't get to Mm -hmm. speak up so how did you get to that point of like oh all of this needs to be undone and forget that like I have a voice and that's like God gave me that voice for a reason rather than like for me to be submissive to my husband and never speak up. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it was, I mean, so that's those two stories I just told you in the Philippines, like that was after five years of working with women. Um, I mean, some of them came from the sex trade. Some of them, you know, were in sub-Saharan Africa fighting to get their education. Some of them were widows. Um, but it was, it was like five years. It was like, I was after five years, I was that man just helped me finally connect the dots mm, that mm. this this is not um this isn't going to get better until we address who's doing the harm mm, and so um i obviously share my story in my book you know i have i'm a survivor of sexual assault i'm a survivor of you know sexual harassment and so for so long i kept those things secret because i thought they were my fault Um, I brought shame upon myself. And then I'm like, no, actually, no, it's not, you know, seeing these women surviving, like, I would never say this is your fault to hearing someone's Mm. story of sexual assault. So why am I telling that to myself? And I I realized that me being silent and, and not standing up to this gender role theology was me being complicit and the oppression Mm. of other women. So it wasn't just like, there's nothing I can do. It's like, no, actually, I am harming I am harming women. I'm being complicit in the oppression of women by not using my voice in this situation. And so, uh, yeah, that's why I quit my job and started a podcast called Faith and Feminism and wrote a book um, <laughs> because, yeah, this is this is I can't be complicit and I can't watch any more women be harmed by this system anymore. Um, it's wrong. It's so wrong. Well, and I love that you just framed it that way, of like you're complicit and. And this is like you are adding to the problem by being part of this theology and the gender roles and all that, because like as someone as a woman who was raised in something similar, mm-hmm. um, I I constantly am battling like, no, I have a voice. And then it's like, well, but is it more biblical that I'm, you know, quiet and, you know, it it's so hard to undo all that. Mm-hmm. And so f- like for you to say, like, actually, no by you using your voice, you are actually like doing what God wants. That's a total like paradigm shift because we spend so much time thinking like, well, I'm I'm going against God's will by using my voice because I'm a woman. And it's like, you're like, no, I'm actually causing the problem here, which is which is a powerful paradigm paradigm shift for us women who were so indoctrinated in this. And and something so when I was reading the book, I kept messaging Megan on Instagram because I was like, yes, thank you for saying this stuff. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad someone is finally saying all this. And and like one of the biggest reasons um, why I I kept like raising my fist in solidarity is because you you really did do a good job of connecting the theology, which can be so um, abstract. Mm-hmm to like real world consequences and it was consequences that were halfway across the world like it's they're so separate from us that it can seem like no our theology has nothing to do with what's happening over there um so i just want to say thank you for doing that because i think 
we tend to think like theology is just like, you know, something that we believe and and it's no big deal. And you're you're like, no, look at these real world consequences that what you believe and what you listen to and what you um, don't stand up against does in the real world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I, I, it needed to be addressed, so I addressed it. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, but well, but th- you're putting yourself in a place to now, like you said, get those emails. And mm-hmm. so a lot of people don't do it because it's like, well, now I don't want to be the one who gets these emails from these people who claim Jesus and then, like, are I guess are trying to, like, lead you to Jesus by telling you you deserve to be raped. I don't, yeah, like, a lot of us would not want to have that kind of blowback put on us. And so we're like, well, someone else will do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I well, I think that's a valid point. Um, I think anytime. OK, so we I think here in the United States, especially in the, you know, white evangelical church, because the conservative evangelical church, we are trained to see everything as individual sin. We are not trained to see in systems. Um, and and it mm-hmm. took me five years of being complicit in a harmful system to finally see the system, to finally see, you know, when the Bible says our, our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, it's against powers and principalities. Well, I think powers and principalities is what it means, powers and principalities. It's these mm-hmm. structures of patriarchy and racism and white supremacy mm-hmm. that we have our battle against. It's not against one another. It's against these principalities that have a a death grip, I think, on the church right now. I mean, if we're looking at, you know, how uh, uh, people are leaving the church in droves, I think that's because we have been overcome with the power and principality of not only patriarchy, but also white supremacy. And so we are seeing the bad rotten fruit of this. And I do think people should leave systems uh, because they're realizing they're complicit in the harm of others. And we should because the Bible is a story of, of, of. of liberation, of leaving these harmful systems behind. I mean, how many times in Isaiah and Amos does God say, wash your bloody hands before you come to me? Like, Mm. learn to do good, learn to do justice. And I think uh, somehow the Christianity we were taught was all about individual, like, trying not to go to hell, which I I don't think is representative at all. I think that was a control tactic. Um, Mm. And so when when we start to see systems, when you start to see that our, my theology is part of a system of patriarchy or it's part of a system of white supremacy that is elevating um, men over women or it's elevating white people over people of color, um, then we really need to understand that this has this is not just like, oh, this is fine. Like, you know, this is no, this has real world consequences and effects. Um, and mm-hmm. so, we, I mean, why did we see that the Capitol storming that happened on January 6th was Why was there Jesus flags next to Trump flags next to Confederate flags? Well, because we have these powers and um, uh, principalities in our church and people have convoluted them with the idea of Jesus. And and, and it's so interesting to me because we look at Jesus and he's constantly calling out the powers that be. He's constantly calling out the religious elite. Even like before Jesus, we see the prophets like stop you know, stop with the genocide. Stop saying you're better than everyone else. Stop saying you're good and holy and singing worship songs when when the things you have created are harming other people. And so mm. for me, the idea of seeing the system, I am part of a system of patriarchy. And by complying with the rules of patriarchy, not only is it harming me, but it is harming women around the globe. And I will not give any more power to the system that is hurting people. And so for me, my work is calling out the system. It's calling out the the powers and principalities that we see in the church. And yes, I have gotten a ton of pushback because people have convoluted the idea of Jesus with patriarchy, with white supremacy. And so I think that's why specifically you see so much pushback from from Christians uh, talking about these things because we're taking down the power and principalities that are present in our church. And so for me, I, you know, I've lost friends. I write about that in the book. I, you know, I've been reduced to the liberal agenda. I've told people <laughs> that they can't associate <laughs> with me. I've had um, family, you know, my husband and I have had, you know, are still in a, a very tenuous spot with his, his parents because they, um, are very firm believers that women should be submissive and and obey their husbands. And the fact that we believe differently makes them think we're going to hell. 
<laughs> because we've had this idea that, I mean, it's not just Jesus anymore. It's it they've they've put all of their, you know, conservative, you know, you have to be Republican, you have to be um uh, submissive. You have to be, you know, all of these other things that, that, that what? Like, this is not scriptural. But I mean, right. I mean, a lot of us growing up in the church knew it was bad to be a Democrat or a feminist or a socialist <laughs> or all of these other things. I'm like, wait a second, those things should be able to coexist because um, I thought the only thing that defined Christians was Jesus. And um, all of that to say, yes, I've received pushback. Yes, it's been painful. Yes, I'm still speaking up because I'm not going to be complicit in a system that harms others, and I will not be um, part of a system that harms me anymore. Um, hmm. We've been told for so long that's even selfish of us to like stand up for our own needs or wants or rights as women, but that's not selfish. Um, <laughs> it's it's not. It, it really isn't. And so, um, one of my favorite stories from the Bible is the story of Mary and Martha. And if you're familiar, there's a very patriarchal culture at this time. Women were not supposed to interact with men. Um, they're supposed to be in the home preparing. And so we, we enter the story of uh, of Jesus and his disciples visiting the home of Mary and Martha. And, um, you know, Martha is preparing the house, doing her gender role, doing as she should, as a good, you know, at that time, Jewish or Christian woman should be. She's preparing the home. Mary is being super offensive, uh, breaking her gender norms, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And you only sat at the feet of Jesus in the presence of men. And if you were planning to become a rabbi yourself, and remember, women aren't supposed to be taught. They're like, she is violating everything she's supposed to be <laughs> doing as a woman. And so Martha is like, oh gosh, Jesus, I'm so embarrassed. Like, get her to help me. Like, she shouldn't be out here. Like, get her back in the kitchen. And Jesus says, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. And I and I and in that one sentence, I feel like Jesus always has these one-liners of just destroying and dismantling systems. But like in that one line, he's saying, no, Mary broke with her gender role, and that's actually kind of great and it's better. So for me, when those people come across me, I just like, I'm just like being like Mary. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm choosing what is better. Um, and it won't be taken from me. And I also, when I I come into contact. I just think of, I think of my own story. I think of other women. I think of, you know, like I can't even, I have women come forward to me about sexual assault or rape um, very often and, and, and very often from people that uh, haven't told anyone. And so I think, <laughs> I think of them. I think of women who have had to hide these secrets because they've been told that it's their fault or it was their shame. I think of them and I think of, you know, girls who had survived female genital mutilation. I think of women who are being trafficked or women who are, have no other options but to enter the sex trade. And when I think of these women, when I think of what Jesus said to Mary, I find my courage to find my voice again. And people can say whatever they want about me, but I'm not going to stop speaking. Well, I think what you just said there is really critical, especially for the kind of Bible-believing people who um, actually use the Bible as a weapon to uh, purport and support um, patriarchy. And, and I will admit, um, you can make the Bible be incredibly patriarchal. Mm -hmm. um, it, it is. Uh, it, it, you see it all throughout Scripture. But you cannot do that with Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, you you cannot turn Jesus into someone who supports patriarchy. I mean, this is this is the Jesus who was born of a woman without the agency of any man. You know, this is a Jesus that spent his entire life's ministry elevating women in an incredibly patriarchal world. And so, whenever someone wants to use the Bible. Um, you know, as, as a as a weapon to support patriarchy, I just asked them, well, "Can you please show me where Jesus did this?" Um, because, you know, I believe that God put Jesus um, and put put women at the very center of of the two greatest mysteries of our faith, the incarnation and the resurrection. And you can argue that without women, um, there is no Christianity. Without women, there is no God made flesh. Without women, there is no. There is no resurrection. I mean, the first post-Easter sermon is preached by Mary mm -hmm. when she runs to find the men who are terrified, hiding. Um, and she's like, I, I, I've seen the Lord come and see. So let me talk a little bit about that. And let me ask you about this whole notion of how 
um, patriarchy has been supported theologically through scripture? And then what are your responses to that? Because um, we, we all know that patriarchy privileges men. We all know mm-hmm. that patriarchy is really based on you know, in my opinion, kind of four things like dualism, the, the the distinct separation between men and women. It's also based on hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we see the entire world in like somebody's in charge and somebody's underneath them, which leads to domination. And then, and then in, in particular, as we're talking about, there's this inherent inequality of, of gender. Mm-hmm. And so when you put all four of those things together, it's any wonder that women globally are suppressed and violated and raped and mutilated. Can we point people back to scripture um, to, to reverse this? Or what do we do with those individuals, even women, uh, say in the American church, who are still supporting patriarchy by being submissive themselves? I mean, what, what, what is the message that we give to the church and maybe even to women in particular who actually look at the Bible and go, well, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. Um, is there pushback there? Like, what have you seen the answer to that? Oh, yeah. There's a ton of pushback. I have so much pushback. Um, <laughs> so I, like, again, I said, I have, I've been a Christian my whole life. I am 32 years old. And I, you know, if we're having like a Christian contest, like I was a missionary for five years. So I, you know, like yeah, you win. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know the Bible. I've read it several times. And not only have I read the Bible and know the Bible, um, I have interviewed so many different scholars about the Bible. Um, I've read so many books about the Bible, specifically when it comes to this idea of, uh, you know, the Bible being patriarchal. And I think there's, there's a couple of things I want to say to that. Number one, there's a difference between text being prescriptive and descriptive. Um, I think yes. too often people read the Bible as a prescription of how things should be. Like they turn everything into a rule. You know, it's the rule book. It's not a rule book. It's it's definitely not a rule book. Um, no, it's a story. It's a story. And so it's telling, it's, it's giving a, a setting, a very patriarchal setting. Yeah, there is a lot of patriarchy in the Bible because it's a very patriarchal time. It's describing descriptive, it's describing the patriarchal norms that were present at that time. But if we even look at these patriarchal norms and being aware of these patriarchal norms, which is far more extreme than than the world we live in today, when we see women in the Bible, they are constantly constantly breaking their gender roles. Like I can, you know, you know, in the beginning, we have Exodus, we have Shipra and Pua who stood up to Pharaoh uh, and lied to him. So they, not to kill little baby boys. So they broke with their rules. They're supposed to follow Pharaoh and men and whatever. And they broke it. And, you know, we have the story of Esther, who, you know, who stood up to her husband, broke her rules, right? Her husband said, don't come to me or whatever, but she broke the rules to uh, save a whole race of people. Um, we look at, you know, the story of Ruth broke her gender norms again. We can just go through the, Deborah broke the gender norms again. She led a nation. <laughs> we can just go through the Bible and nearly every story that we see of women in the Bible, first of all, we should pay attention to it because number one, a woman getting written into scripture is huge because yeah. we're talking yeah, about exactly. a time that was very patriarchal. So not only is it a miracle that she made it onto those pages, but often why she made it onto those pages is because she uh, broke rules. She forgrew, mm. she she went against her gender norms. I mean, literally, let's just, you know, think of the, the women in the Old Testament. And again and again, you see these women, you know, uh, become part of Jesus's line by breaking the rules. Um, you know, JL's dove, like she drove a stake peg or a tent peg through someone's head. So like (laughs) you see again and again, women are getting mentioned in the Bible for baking with these patriarchal norms. And then we even go to the New Testament and we see this again and again and again. And you already mentioned about how women were the first missionaries, the first to like proclaim the gospel. Uh, You know, Jesus, you know, sought them out. And then we even see, I mean, people give... um, I think Paul a bad rap, but I think there's a, a lot of misunderstanding. I'm not a huge fan of Paul, um, you know, but I also <laughs> have done, you know, a lot of research into the context and what he's saying. And there's so much information there, um, which I don't think I have time to get into there. But I'll, I'll just say one <laughs> brief example of Ephesians. So Ephesians, uh, you have the, you know, wives submit to your husband's stuff that is 
you know, preached from every pulpit. But if you look at the the starting, um, you know, the Bible is broken up into like chunks, you know, like the starting chunk of that piece of text or the starting sentence is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's no male or female. And again, in different parts of the Bible, you know, Paul himself says there's no male or female. But even this right. one part that was used to subjugate women, wives submit to your husbands, the Ephesians mm-hmm. 5, it starts the very beginning is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we're submitting to one another. And if we look at the other time where it says wives submit to your husband, it also says slaves submit to your master. Do we are we walking around saying slaves like slavery is great? <laughs> I mean, obviously the Bible right. has been used to promote slavery, absolutely. But I think that's an improper use of the Bible. So if we're we're not saying if we're saying slavery is bad today, then we should also look at you know, it was literally the next sentence that it says that. So that's another reason. And then more so there's incredible scholars. There's an incredible book that has um, come out called um, The Making of Biblical Womanhood by Beth Allison Barr. And she talks about how liberated like early uh, church women were and how historical conditions uh, of the world patriarchy has actually kept women back. So this, this movement of patriarchy in the church, it's not biblical. It's historical and understanding that. And so she's an historian and it's an incredible book and I highly, highly recommend it. Um, But there's really so many examples. Like if we want to play, you know, Bible battle, which I prefer not to because the people who are (laughs) playing Bible battle aren't really usually in a position to learn or listen. They're more in a position to defend their own point. But if we are, I can hold my own in the Bible battle because um, I've studied these scriptures probably a lot deeper than you have. And one last thing I want to say that I often hear is like, you know, the Bible should be read plainly and simply. Like we shouldn't look Mm. at the historical context or whatever. (laughs) And I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, friend, if you want to read the Bible plainly and simply, then you better give all your money away to the poor because we have the story of the rich young ruler. So clearly you understand context there because I'll bring up that story. When they they tell me, you know, women should submit, it says plain and simply right here, women should submit. And I'm like, okay, let's Mm -hmm. go to the story of the rich young ruler. It says plainly and simply to give away all of your money and give it to the poor. They go, no, no, no. That was to that one guy at that one time because of these Mm -hmm. conditions. I'm like, clearly... Yeah, clearly. Yeah, or the or the love your enemies. Well, yeah, yeah. he didn't really mean that. Or, that was a metaphor. Or if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. It's huge. Like, you know, right. there's all of these examples that they're not reading plainly and simply. But if you are reading it plainly and simply, and if that's your measure of reading scripture, then I better go see you give your money away. But clearly they understand context here because they know that Jesus is talking to a specific person at a specific time. Same with Paul. Paul was talking to a specific church at a specific time. There's there's so many qualifiers there. Um, and so, uh, yeah, the, the to say that the Bible should be read plainly and simply, is, I think it's the lowest form of understanding uh, of mm. the Bible. Um, because it's, it's like I said, it's not a rule book. It's not supposed to be something that we just read as, as rules. It's a story of people trying to understand God and having prophets into them because they got it wrong and wrong and wrong again. And then finally, Jesus, right. God incarnate in flesh comes and it's like, no, this is what God is like. And, and, and mm. so for me, that's, it's the story of people meeting God. It's not a rule book. I mean, my goodness, like Abraham, one of the patriarchs of the faith gave his wife um, to be a sex slave to Pharaoh. So, like, don't tell me that this is how things should be. This is this <laughs> is this is a story of fallen humanity trying to find God. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean about like raising the fist in solidarity? You're just like, yes, say it, preach it. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. And I wish we had so much more time because there's so much more in the book about like white saviorism and complementarianism and female genital mutilation, which you mentioned earlier, and rape culture and purity culture and how it's all connected. And we don't have time for all of that. So that's why everyone should read her book. Um, it's amazing. But I do want to end with the question that we like to ask everyone, because when we're talking about dismantling these systems that have kept people in oppression and that have harmed people for so long, it's so easy to get bogged down in like the negative and what we've done wrong and uh, or just like feeling like they're it's hopeless. There's no way to get to where we want to go. So but we we want to ask you from your experience, from writing this book, from all your time as a missionary and, and anything that you've read or seen now, 
when you look at the future of faith, especially in regards to women and how we're perceived and treated, what gives you hope? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think I honestly have hope that the church is changing. Like when people are sad that the people are leaving the church, I I think it's not them leaving their faith. A lot of times I think it's maybe leaving an oppressive system or a system that's yes. been used to oppress. So I'm I'm not sad about that. I mean, I've had to leave churches um, and it was the most holy thing I could do, right, was to, mm. to, to leave a system that was causing harm to others, to not be complicit anymore. So where do I find hope? I find hope because the church is clearly going through changes and it needs to go through changes. Um, I, I'm not disheartened by the people leaving because I think maybe they're taking their faith the most seriously. Um, I can't be, you know, follow the gospel of Jesus Christ and then, uh, you know, <laughs> support a, a system that has been harming people or is, you know, storming the Capitol or, you know, <laughs> spreading conspiracy theories or refusing to wear a mask to like protect our neighbors like yeah well maybe right. maybe it is time to leave and start something new and so for me i think i find hope actually that people are leaving um not i and finding new churches because i think a lot of us are finding new spaces um but i also find hope i do get messages every now and again from men who said you know my wife was listening to your podcast and i like thought she was crazy or whatever <laughs> and then i started listening to it and I, you've changed my mind. And so wow. where I find hope is that minds can change, that we can be soft, we can be humble, we can be teachable, and we can finally listen to the stories. We can center the stories that have not been told. And so that's going to be coming from people on the margin. So, you know, people of color, Black people, um, immigrants, um, you know, queer people, women, all of these stories is where we're, I think, going to find ourselves again. And um, yeah, so I, I think there's a move towards that. And and that makes me excited. Um, mm. And the, the thought that I could be part of a movement that uh, sees women as full people and stops blaming them for everything, you know, sexual assault <laughs> or whatever, um, that that brings me a lot of hope. Mm. I love what you just said there because we've had so many guests reference that same thing that salvation, liberation, the gospel itself almost always comes from the margins. Mm -hmm. It almost always comes from the individuals who have actually been the victims of status quo religion. And so when we do look to the future of faith, we see um, most appropriately, I think the gospel in its purest form lived out by every one of those people you just mentioned, mm -hmm. and none of them have been accepted and given full status in in the church today. So, yeah, I mean, I, that's what gives me hope as well. You know, I look at status quo religion, I look at the center of power, and go, nope, there is nothing life giving coming from there. The fruit is utterly rotten. But the fruit of this little bitty tree that's been neglected way over here in the margin, man, that looks good. Um, what can we learn from them? So, yeah, I just echo that um, in, a, in a beautiful way. So, all right. Melanie said we had one more question, but we actually don't. We, we kind of sort of lied to you, but not in a bad way. Um, we want to ask you just some fun questions to finish our time together. Is that all right? Yeah, you, Megan? absolutely. Okay. All right. So these are like rapid fire whatever pops into your head. Um, so first question, uh, of all the places you've been to and even lived, um, what would you say is um, the one place that has impacted you the most? <laughs> That's a hard question. I've been, <laughs> I've been to a lot of places. Um, goodness gracious. Mm. Or maybe one that you would want to go back to. Like, I oh, mean, I so I, so one place that I love, 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 love is New Zealand. Um, I love New Zealand, mm -hmm. not only because it's stunningly beautiful, um, but I also really appreciate the leadership coming from a woman over there. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's one place, but that seems like kind of like a shallow answer. I think probably if we're talking about deep uh, change that happened in me from, I think, listening to other women's stories, it would be Thailand and the Philippines. 
uh, I think I went through the most growth there because I was finally learning to listen and to see mm. and to hear um, in those areas. So mm. that's beautiful. All right. This next one you can have a choice on. You can tell us either one of your all time favorite books or one of your all time favorite movies. Um, I think one of my all-time favorite books is Chanel Miller, Know My Name. Um, If you haven't read it, I think she is the most incredible storyteller. The words are beautiful. Um, And, I mean, I read it uh, shortly before I wrote my second draft, and I found it so inspirational of of what I should be doing and what I should be saying. So definitely Chanel Miller, Know My Name. Oh, Hmm. well, adding that to the list. Yeah. All right, so you're a, you're a writer, mm-hmm. you're a speaker, podcaster, three big talents. What is maybe one hidden talent that your listeners or readers <laughs> wouldn't know about you? This is a great question because uh, so I have a dent in my head um, that I can balance an egg in. So what? what? <laughs> yeah, a lot of people don't know that, but so this is like the perfect opportunity. Sometimes I'll you know pull out that party trick put an egg in the little dent and I have in my head. Um, I oh think it was like my soft spot grew in instead of out or something. I have actually no idea. I, you know, if I'm a fully uh, functioning human, but I, for some reason I have a, like a pretty sizable dent. A, pl- a place for an egg. <laughs> yeah. nice. On my that head. That is awesome. So That is awesome. Yeah. Okay. If Hollywood turned your life into a movie, who would you want to play you? Oh, that's a good question. So it's like, who is my favorite actress? Um, man, I, I, I have to be honest, I'm not like super into pop culture. Um, but I've always really enjoyed Rachel McAdams. So mm, yeah, she is, she's great. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So knowing what you know now about life, about patriarchy, theology, what is one thing you would tell your 16 year old self about all of these things that you've learned over the last decade or so? I think I would just tell her that she is holy and that her body is not dangerous or sinful um, and that she is fully loved and accepted just as she has, as she is um, opinionated and outspoken and competitive as she is. She's just great. So. Mm. Love it. Me too. Well, thanks so much for this, Megan. Uh, This has been really wonderful. And I just, I love what you said about like reframing feminism as being the most faithful position and not being this like sinful thing, like you're going against God's will or something. I think that's, I think that's part of what we need to do is reframe the conversation and change the rhetoric. So uh, for anyone who is interested in reading your book or listening to your podcast, where can they find all that online? Yeah, you should be able to find my book anywhere books are sold. I don't know if they'll they'll be like physically in a Store, but they're at Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Amazon. Um, they're at my publisher. And honestly, please, please, please buy the book. Um, and not only was it incredibly difficult to write, but I really think we can we can confront um, this really harmful theology. And the more people that read it, the more people can fight it. So um, you can find it there. My podcast is Faith and Feminism. Uh, you can find me and my podcast on on Instagram. That's the place I am most likely to be found. We do exist in other spaces, but it's I'm not as reliable there. <laughs> so Instagram's the best way. Uh, what's your handle on Instagram? Uh, my name Megan Chance. It's hard to spell, um, but my last name is spelled well. So I'm like Megan. Like Megan Markle has the H in it, and then my last name is T S C H. A N Z as in zebra. Um, and so usually you'll just have to find that in the show notes because it's a mouthful. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm going to link to all of this in the show notes. So, so if, if people are confused and also we will be posting about this on social media too. So we'll link, we'll tag you and all that. And hopefully people can find you that way as well. And also do buy her book too, because we want to tell publishers that they're is a need for this kind of content. And this is what needs to be published. Not absolutely not more love and respects. Yep. Did I just say that out loud? Oops. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Megan. This has been wonderful and we have really appreciated your time. 
Thanks, Megan. This was great. Thank you for having me. Her book is called Women Rising, Learning to Listen, Reclaiming Our Voice, and it is out now. Definitely add that one to your to-read list because it is amazing. A quick announcement before we end. Patreon supporters now get access to episodes five days before their public release. So if you'd like to listen the Thursday before each episode releases, all you have to do is head to patreon.com slash holyheretics and become a patron of any amount per month and you're in. So next week's episode, we are talking to biblical scholar Pete Enns, and we're specifically talking about what the Bible is and isn't um, and how to really approach the Bible after you start questioning everything you were taught about it. (laughs) So you could listen to that fascinating conversation as early as Thursday, May 20th. So again, that URL is patreon.com slash holyheretics. Until next week. This episode was written by Gary Allen Taylor and Melanie Mudge and produced by the Sophia Society. Music is by Faith in Foxholes and sound levels were mixed by Joshua Mudge. 